episode of the Fountain Court podcast. I'm Nick Yeo, a barrister at Fountain Court Chambers. On this episode, we are looking at algorithms, and in particular, the distinction between deterministic and non-deterministic algorithms. I'm very fortunate to be joined by three other specialists in this area, Julia Smithers XL, Minesh Tanner, and another Fountain Court barrister, Jacob Turner, who all bring a slightly different perspective to the discussion. Julia Smithers XL is a partner in the financial regulatory team of White & Case. She has extensive experience across a number of areas, including fintech and artificial intelligence, topics on which she is regularly invited to speak at conferences and seminars. Julia is a working group member of the Financial Markets Law Committee and contributes to various publications covering topics including the withdrawal of the UK from the EU, fintech and financial market infrastructure. Minesh Tanner is a solicitor at Simmons & Simmons where he specialises in technology disputes and is also the firm's global AI lead. He regularly advises clients on AI-related legal and ethical issues and is frequently invited to speak at seminars and workshops on the subject. Minesh has recently been appointed chair of the newly established AI group of the Society for Computers and Law. Jacob Turner is a junior barrister at Fountain Court who joined us in 2018. He is a former solicitor advocate having previously worked for Cleary Gottlieb and has a particular specialism in technology disputes and, more specifically, artificial intelligence. Jacob is the author of Robot Rules, published by Macmillan, and a contributing author to The Law of Artificial Intelligence, published by Sweet and Maxwell. He has worked on a number of cases in this area and has advised governments, regulators and businesses on their AI governance. Speaking for myself, I am a senior junior at Fountain Court having previously been a solicitor with Slaughter and May, and have a long-standing interest and specialism in fintech and technology, having acted in a market-leading cryptocurrency and algorithmic trading case before the Singapore International Court of Appeal, while currently acting in a range of cryptocurrency disputes, as well as advising on smart contracts, technology disputes and financial regulation. I've published articles on various aspects of cryptocurrency and algorithmic trading. In this episode, we discuss the distinction between deterministic and non-deterministic algorithms and issues arising for both types of algorithm in doctrinal law, causes of action, and regulatory law, both from a UK perspective and EU perspective. I hope you enjoy the episode. Jacob. Could you kick off by briefly explaining the distinction between deterministic and non-deterministic algorithms? Traditional computer programs use a series of logical instructions along the lines of if X, then Y, if Y, then Z. These are what I would call deterministic, so that with a given input, there will always be the same output. There's no discretion on the part of the system to develop its own rules or to try to improve upon the answers programmed into it by humans. So every aspect of the system's functioning can be traced back to a human decision maker. And it's simple to explain what has happened. These systems are sometimes called symbolic AI or good old fashioned AI, but arguably they don't show any independent intelligence. By contrast, Non-deterministic systems have a degree of autonomy, meaning that they can develop their own norms 
and can achieve outcomes which were not set by humans. Machine learning is currently, and has been for about the last 10 years, the most prominent type of non-deterministic system. The key difference between deterministic and non-deterministic systems is that in a non-deterministic system, humans will set it up, but they don't know exactly what it will decide. I would term this true AI. Although non-deterministic systems can come up with very sophisticated results and often surpass humans in so doing, they can give rise to particular difficulty for lawyers and regulators. There are two main ways in which this happens. The first is attribution. Since non-deterministic programs can learn their own rules in unpredictable ways, it can be difficult to pin liability to a particular human decision maker. The second problem is explainability. Because non-deterministic systems do not think in the same way that humans do, that can lead to their being difficult to understand and to explain subsequently. This is a phenomenon known as the black box problem. But Julia, the distinction is expressed slightly differently from a UK regulatory perspective, I think. Yes, that's right, Jacob. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd just uh, comment that the UK financial services regulators and supervisors, you know, don't don't currently make the specific terminological distinction in the regulatory sphere between deterministic and non-deterministic. And their focus is more on whether, as you mentioned, the algorithm is interpretable and explainable. So interpretability is about being able to work out the logic of what's going on inside the workings of the algorithm without necessarily knowing why. And explainability, as you noted, is being able to explain in human terms what's happening. So translating that back into your categories of deterministic and non-deterministic algos, where a deterministic algorithm represents a single path from an input to an outcome, and a non-deterministic algorithm represents a single path stemming into many paths, some of which could arrive at the same output and some could arrive at unique outputs. You can probably say that deterministic algorithms are in general more easily interpretable and explainable than non-deterministic algorithms. Minish, if you've got a, a bridge to the question, go ahead. Well, actually, I was going to ask you a question, if, if that's okay, Nick, following on from the points that Jacob and Julia made about the distinction between non-deterministic and deterministic algorithms and focusing for a moment on legal responsibility. And my question is, if the output of deterministic algorithms is simply dependent on the input that has been provided by a human, and since there will always be some human involved in some way in the input, are there any problems with applying common law causes of action to transactions entered into by algorithms? Ultimately, can't we always hold a human legally responsible for the output of a deterministic algorithm? Well, Minish, some causes of action presuppose human beings interacting in real time and in a certain order. So, for example, Reliance on a representation requires the representation to come first, and obviously the act of reliance after that. Another example is unilateral mistake, which requires a unilateral mistake to be made by one party, and then the other, non-mistaken party, to have knowledge, actual or constructive, of that mistake. Now, if two deterministic algorithms conclude a contract between themselves, and just before the contract is entered, let's suppose a human programmer 
has tweaked one of the algorithms and has made a mistake in doing so. Does the applicability of the rules of unilateral mistake then depend upon whether a human has had some input to the other algorithm after that time? What if the non-mistaken algorithm, if I can call it that, has last had any human input months or years before the time of contracting? Does that mean, essentially, that there can never be knowledge attributable to that non-mistaken party of the other mistaken party's mistake? Well, this came before the Singapore International Court of Appeal in the case of B2C2 and COIN, where I was acting for B2C2. This was a very influential bench comprising five judges, Singapore's Chief Justice and two Court of Appeal judges from Singapore, along with the former Chief Justice of Australia and Lord Mance, formerly of our Supreme Court. All five judges held in effect that the traditional common law rules of unilateral mistake must be adapted, to use Lord Mance's word, to take account of contracts entered into automatically by deterministic algorithms without any contemporaneous human involvement. The majority focused on whether the programmer for that non-mistaken algo knew at some stage before the transaction was entered that some mistake would be made by any counterparty, not necessarily knowing the precise mistake made. Now, the test is a little bit more complicated than that, but for present purposes, this is sufficient. Lord Mance, in the minority, went further and held that it was sufficient if the programmer of the non-mistaken algo realised that some effectively system error had occurred, even if that realisation only occurred after the transaction had concluded. Now, other causes of action and remedies can be applied with far less dramatic tweaks, I think. For example, rectification would look at the subjective intention of a human being on each side whose state of mind could be attributed to the algorithm, as you suggest, Minesh. But when considering what the contract to be rectified is, there may not be a natural language contract there to interpret. Two algos contracting automatically may well give rise to the classic case of what's sometimes called a smart contract, where all one has is the interaction of two pieces of code. In this circumstance, there's nothing to interpret as such. Rather, one must look at the behaviour of the code to see what, if anything, requires rectification. And while we're in this realm of contracting, a more fundamental issue may well arise when two algorithms interact automatically. And that's whether there's actually any intention to create legal relations in the first place. This can be a real issue where the desired functionality exists on a single platform or a number of platforms or DLTs all interacting automatically. In that case, there's even further distance from any human involvement. But I've only been talking about common law rules uh, doctrinally. What about the regulatory rules relevant to deterministic algorithms? Julia, do you see any present challenges raised by deterministic algorithms? So, yes, I mean, as, as I previously noted, financial services regulators, you know, don't really make the specific terminological distinction between deterministic and non-deterministic algorithms in their, the, the supervisory context. But they do make this, this distinction between those which are interpretable and, and explainable as opposed to those which aren't. So if you take machine learning algorithms, which adjust themselves to perform better, 
sector as they're exposed to more data and then change how they process data over time, you can classify these as more or less interpretable and explainable. So you've got the more easily interpretable and explainable machine learning algorithms like linear regression, logistic regression and decision trees, although how interpretable and explainable they are depends on the number of input features that have been processed for each type, but some of these will be deterministic. And you've got the more difficult to interpret so-called black box algorithms like artificial neural nets and random forests, which are non-deterministic. And financial services regulators and supervisors have more of an issue with non-deterministic algorithms, which are less explainable and interpretable. But even with deterministic algorithms, there are regulatory challenges. So, for example, the UK Information Commissioner has said that even sufficiently explainable algorithmic models must still factor in cases where social or demographic data are being processed, which may involve particular issues around bias and discrimination. And there should be a drive towards choosing an interpretable algorithmic model and avoiding the choice of black box machine learning algorithms. And the ICO itself says that these more interpretable and explainable techniques may include deterministic algorithms like decision trees or linear regression. In the financial services sphere, regulatory challenges have led to the MIFID II Markets and Financial Instruments Directive II requirements for organisational systems and controls and record-keeping requirements around algorithmic trading, where a computer algorithm automatically determines the individual parameters of orders, like whether to initiate an order, its timing, price or quantity, and there's very little human intervention. So regulated firms have to ensure that their trading systems have trading thresholds and limits, prevent the sending of erroneous orders, or the systems otherwise functioning in a way that could create or contribute to a disorderly market, and that they can't be used for any purpose contrary to the market abuse rules or the rules of the trading venues they interface with. And the UK Financial Conduct Authority has noted that in overseeing machine operating models and algorithms which calculate pricing and automate execution of deterministic activity, senior managers in regulated financial services firms have also created new governance activities like model validation. But the firm's use of machine learning and artificial intelligence creates questions which are too nuanced and complex to be dealt with simply by clear lines of accountability from the government's perspective. So the FCA and the Bank of England set up last year the Artificial Intelligence Public-Private Forum on the use of deterministic and non-deterministic algorithms in financial markets, along with various financial services, cloud providers and AI firms, and also the Alan Turing Institute to cover data analytics algorithms, machine learning, AI, and other advanced techniques, models and systems from deterministic algorithms to natural language processing, NLP, and deep learning. And they're exploring how to address the key data-related risks and challenges related to the use of AI in financial services. So the information commissioner is an observer. And actually, the Bank of England itself is also undergoing a process of making the Prudential Regulation Authority's rulebook machine-readable and using machine language tools to enhance the capabilities of supervisors. Julia, that's very interesting. Thank you very much. Manesh, is there an issue here, though, of semantics or perhaps a misconception about the word algorithm? I think there is, Nick, and it's worth taking a step back for a moment because we have been discussing the distinction between deterministic and non-deterministic algorithms so far. But I think it's fair to say that those labels, deterministic and non-deterministic, are not often, and dare I say not often enough, applied to this word algorithm. Uh, And I think that can cause a few issues. 
Now, the word algorithm itself is not a novel or a complex concept. We've had algorithms for years. It's a relatively straightforward concept. I've heard people describe an algorithm as being similar to a recipe in a cookery book. It's essentially a set of instructions that you use, which leads to an output. It's a relatively straightforward concept. But recently, we've seen an increase in the use of the word algorithm in discourse, in social media, in legal commentary even. And I think that perhaps correlates with a rise in the adoption of artificial intelligence and a rise in the use of digital technology and IT more generally. Now, one of the issues that I said I would mention is that there's a risk of conflating the word algorithm with this concept of artificial intelligence. And I'll give an example. In the UK, not so long ago, there was an issue with examinations undertaken by school pupils being graded using an algorithm. And I saw in this context a lot of criticism of artificial intelligence. But the issue with that criticism is that the system that was grading pupils was very unlikely to have been artificial intelligence. And by that, I think we can all agree we mean a non-deterministic algorithm. And so I think this leads to two issues. The first is that the label algorithm doesn't accurately capture the technology that's being used. Now, that is a challenge anyway. It's not always clear where the line is drawn in practice between a deterministic and a non-deterministic algorithm. In other words, where the intelligence of artificial intelligence begins. But I don't think that's a reason to be sloppy about the use of labels and sloppy about the use of the word algorithm. It's still important to be accurate where possible, particularly from a legal perspective. The second issue, I think, in conflating the word algorithm with the concept of artificial intelligence is that it can lead to unfair criticisms of artificial intelligence, as I think was the case in the examination point I just mentioned. Ultimately, if it's clear that an algorithm is deterministic, that it's not really fair to be raising common criticisms of artificial intelligence when actually there was a human responsible for setting the rules and providing the input in the deterministic algorithm. So we need to be careful about overusing the word algorithm and not being specific enough when we talk about algorithms. And in particular, we need to be careful about equating algorithms with artificial intelligence or non-deterministic algorithms. Labels are really important, particularly for lawyers. And non-deterministic algorithms, as we've mentioned so far, are a different beast. Well, that bridges our discussion very nicely to the second part of this podcast, where we will be concentrating on non-deterministic algorithms. And as we've been saying, there is a really significant added complication here. It's much more difficult, if not impossible, to attribute the output of such an algorithm to a human who may have been involved in the original creation of it. Rather, as Jacob explained earlier, the algorithm is learning and modifying itself. Therefore, one cannot look at the actual understanding of a human being as underpinning any transaction executed by that algorithm, either in terms of what was known or intended by that algorithm. More fundamentally, we cannot necessarily pin responsibility for the output of a non-deterministic algorithm on a human being. 
Now, when a human's actions are in the spotlight, one very important factor is the human's reasons for doing what she or he did. In criminal law, this could be seen in the element of mens rea. In civil procedure, this finds expression in, for example, the requirement for a judge to give a reasoned judgment. So we might say, if a non-deterministic algorithm can itself explain what it is doing, is that going a long way towards being able to assess, and if appropriate, accept the output of that algorithm? Now, that's to state the issue at a very generalised level of ethics or natural justice. But Jacob, you've recently been involved in this issue of explainability in a much more practical setting. Could you tell us something about that? We've started to see challenges being brought against the use of AI in terms of individuals seeking explanations of how AI has made decisions. I was instructed by a group of gig economy drivers who have been dismissed or fined for alleged misdemeanors by a ride-hailing company, Ola Cabs. Essentially, these drivers received a notification overnight accusing them of fraud or other wrongs, but they were given no reasons even when they asked. So it was an almost Kafkaesque scenario that they faced It turned out that the decisions to fine or dismiss them were often made automatically by the company's fraud detection systems run on its computers. So we brought a challenge under the GDPR, which gives rise to a right to an explanation of automated decision-making involving personal data, at least where that decision has legal consequences. The GDPR is a very important piece of law for any organizations using AI anywhere in the world. And although there's lots of awareness on the privacy aspects of that legislation, I think there's a lot less awareness of the AI-related parts. And ours was the first case to look directly at those AI-related provisions, specifically Articles 13 to 15 and 22. In terms of the result, our challenge was successful, at least in part. The court rejected the company's attempt to rely on the fact that its fraud systems might be circumvented if it revealed the information on their workings. And I think that aspect of the decision really has quite a significant impact on entities in the financial sector, banks, other financial institutions, which very regularly use fraud detection software and do so, broadly speaking, very effectively. And I think would be very unwilling to provide the information to the public on how that software works for precisely the same kind of concerns that bad actors could use that information to get around those detection software algorithms. In our case, the court found that Olacabs had been using solely automated processes uh, in some of these decisions. And consequently, the drivers were entitled to an explanation, which the courts interpreted as information which enables them to understand why the system has made certain choices and the parameters taken into account when those choices are being made. But as Julia has mentioned, that is a lot easier said than done with non-deterministic algorithms where you have to delve into the black box to try to find these things out. On that note, separately, 
Minash and I have been doing some work for different AI companies, helping them to explain how their AI systems work in advance to try to avoid the types of issues faced by Ola Cabs. And I think it's going to be increasingly likely that challenges will be brought against governments or companies using AI. And that requires them to have in place proper governance and explainability statements in advance much in the same way that we see corporate social responsibility statements now becoming very common in major organizations. Julian, you and Jacob seem to agree that explainability may be easier said than done with non-deterministic algorithms. Do you see that as the major challenge for non-deterministic algorithms in the regulatory field? Yeah, so um, thanks, Jacob. So as I noted earlier, non-deterministic algorithms are of more concern to regulators because they are less likely to be interpretable and explainable. And UK regulators have growing expectations of banks and regulated firms, boards and senior managers uh, because of this. So, for example, the, the FCA has published an article called Artificial Intelligence in the Boardroom, and um, that flags that boards and senior managers of regulated firms must take business responsibility for challenges raised by machine learning algorithms and artificial intelligence in the areas of ethics, liability, transparency, uh, accountability and explainability. And they're framed in the article as critical business issues, which should not be left solely up to a firm's quants or to its ops and tech teams, and instead require genuine understanding and engagement among board members and senior managers who should explicitly debate and determine their position and approach to these aspects of AI projects. And the FCA actually published jointly with the Alan Turing Institute this week, just a couple of days ago, a report around the use of AI in financial services. And they started a couple of years ago a a, a project to analyse ethical questions and focus on considerations of transparency. And at an international level, the FCA is also leading a work stream on machine learning and AI for the International Organization of Securities Commissions, IOSCO, exploring issues around trust and ethics and what a framework for financial services should look like. And boards of regulated entities and banks are warned by the FCA to dedicate time and serious effort to identify, analyze, and determine ethical questions around their use of AI. So I, I would note that actually on AI explainability, the great supercomputer deep thought in Douglas Adams' radio show, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, famously spent 7.5 million years cogitating over the answer to life, the universe and everything, and came up with 42, an outcome which is so inexplicable that it needed to build an even more powerful computer to explain it. And the FCA also notes that some of the coding approaches used in AI can produce outcomes which are difficult to explain. And the AI section of its 2019 research agenda focused on issues concerning the explainability of decisions made on the basis of black box algorithms, as well as ethical questions around algorithmic bias. And another um, article on the FTA website called Explaining Why the Computer Says No concluded that the ultimate target should be sufficient explainability calibrated by stakeholder and context. And it noted that senior managers in banks with accountability for the algorithmic models used by their lines of business will need to demand an increased level of understanding and ensure that appropriate testing and controls have been implemented and regulators will want to see evidence that effective accountability is in place, including evidence that a degree of interpretability is being provided which is appropriate to the use case and stakeholders concerned. 
to ensure that the predictions of a machine learning model are not driven by statistical quirks or odd data inputs. And this will also help address ethical concerns around algorithmic bias. And so board members of regulated entities should stringently probe what sufficient explainability means for them and their clients and show the confidence and integrity to admit when they themselves do not fully understand any aspect of their firm's use of, of AI. I was really interested, Julia, by your point about boards needing to have a good understanding of how the AI works and this not just being a quant issue. Something that has been suggested in various different organisations is having an AI committee or uh, an AI part of the board. And I wondered if that's something which you would recommend or if you feel there are issues with hiving these sorts of decisions off. I actually think, depending on how it's set up, I think it could be just a tick box exercise, actually. You know, I, th- I think it's more, as, as I said before, in fact, I think it's a lot more nuanced than that. You know, it's, it's you, it, just having sort of very kind of clear and simple lines of accountability. Everything in AI across the institution rolls up to the AI committee. You know, I, it's not as simple as that. And, and I think the prudential and conduct regulators in the UK have made that very clear. You know, the, the boards, everyone on the board needs to understand this stuff. You know, whatever whatever they do, they can't just delegate it to, you know, well, they can, I suppose they could delegate it to an AI committee, you know, but that AI committee then needs to be sufficiently diverse in, in terms of the kind of areas that, you know, board uh, members, you know, deal with to understand how the use of AI may impact the institution, you know, across its entirety effectively. I mean, so, for example, you know, they need to look at client communications, you know, on the transparency side around how AI is used to make decisions, um, you know, mandating, they need to mandate client consent, obviously, to personal data being fed into the firm's algorithms. And and the FCA has actually said that a board's approach to transparency will reflect the values of the organisation and impact its reputation among its clients, and we, you know which will assume increased importance. And it's no longer just a simple you know control issue, but it's it's a critical business decision requiring board level input. And actually, on on governance, prudential regulators' concerns have been set out by the Bank of England and and other central banks. So, for example, with the Dutch Central Bank published guidelines for the use of AI in financial services and set out some principles for regulated firms to use AI responsibly. And they talked about soundness and accountability, fairness, ethics, skills and transparency, the acronym SAFEST, you know, when you're looking at AI and how you use it in, in an organisation. And, um, you know, they, they looked at just how accountability standards will become more stringent. And also the Bank of England, a couple of years ago, uh, the head of their deposit taker supervision team, James Proudman, gave a, a speech on managing machines and the governance of, of AI. And that was focused again on how boards uh, should govern the introduction of artificial intelligence. And he said, actually, it's a mantra among banking regulators that governance failings are the root cause of almost all prudential failures. So it's a topic of real concern to to prudential regulators. And he actually cited the Bank of England survey among regulated firms of their AI deployment 
showing firms reporting that, you know, properly used AI and machine learning lower risks. You know, as, as you said, Jacob, in terms of money laundering, know your customer, you know, credit risk assessment. But obviously, there's some acknowledgement that incorrectly used AI can give rise to new and complex risk types and, you know, bring new challenges for boards and senior managers, you know, on around data, around accountability, around also just transition to AI and how you execute that, particularly with sort of humans in the mix. And, um, you know, the Bank of England said that, uh, you know, not just regulators, but boards need to consider and be on top of all these issues. And they need to consider how to allocate individual responsibilities, including under the, the senior managers regime. So I just conclude by saying that the choice is between regulating algorithmic models with a high level of explainability as against treating them as black boxes and regulating their inputs, outputs and outcomes. But, you know, requiring high levels of explainability could fetter innovation. So it's really key for regulators to strike the right balance. Well, thank you very much, Julia. And on the topic of fettering innovation, the EU has recently published its draft AI regulation. Manesh, do you think that that strikes the right balance? That's a good question, Nick. And as you rightly say, the EU has recently published its draft AI regulation in April 2021. And this was a piece of regulation that was promised by EU President von der Leyen shortly after she took office in late 2019. Now, we had a few clues as to what the regulation would look like through an earlier white paper from the EU and also a leaked version of the regulation. But I think it's fair to say that the draft regulation which was published just a few weeks ago is much more bold and comprehensive than those in the legal community would have expected. The draft regulation is the first of its kind. It's a cross-sector general regulation applicable to AI use. And I think the EU is to be applauded for taking such a bold step. But as you rightly note, Nick, there are questions about the scope and extent of the regulation and whether it could stifle innovation. And let me give you a few examples from the draft regulation itself. Now, one of the most interesting points, particularly in the context of our discussion around deterministic and non-deterministic algorithms, is the definition of AI system, which goes to the core of the regulation. Now, there's a fairly vanilla definition of AI system in the body of the draft regulation, but the definition then refers to techniques which are listed in Annex 1. And those techniques comprise three paragraphs, each of which refers to different techniques that will be familiar to data scientists. Now, two of those paragraphs refer to machine learning and statistical techniques, which I think are uncontroversial. As we've discussed so far, those techniques can be used in non-deterministic algorithms. But paragraph two of this annex, which goes to the definition of AI system, refers to, and I quote, logic and knowledge-based approaches. Now, that is a very wide definition, and I think it certainly captures deterministic algorithms. And the sense one gets is that the EU made this definition broad, perhaps to future-proof the regulation, given that the rate of development in AI is so rapid, and also because they may be of the view 
that the regulation should still protect against the risks of deterministic algorithms. And that goes back to some of the points you were making earlier, Nick. The EU might also be of the view that it should be more straightforward to comply with the obligations in the draft regulation when one is dealing with deterministic algorithms. I'm not sure if that's necessarily right, but in practical terms, what we have here is a draft AI regulation which is very broad in the scope of its application. And just looking at a few more detailed provisions of the draft regulation, the way in which this regulation applies to AI systems is that it takes a risk-based approach. Some AI systems are prohibited entirely. For example, the use of social scoring systems by public authorities. For example, systems that assess the trustworthiness of citizens in society. Most AI systems are subject to only a light touch obligation, which is to make individuals aware that they're interacting with an AI system. Now, in between those two approaches is the middle ground of high-risk AI systems, and the majority of the draft regulation applies to so-called high-risk AI systems. Now, these are AI systems that are defined by reference to their use in a particular domain, for example, in recruitment or employment contexts, or by reference to the type of product in which the AI system is incorporated, for example, medical devices. The draft regulation contains many onerous obligations, particularly on providers of these so-called high-risk AI systems. There are both substantive and procedural obligations. And I think coming back to the distinction we've been discussing today, those obligations are particularly onerous in the context of non-deterministic systems. As we've discussed, we have black box issues, an inherent lack of transparency in how some non-deterministic systems operate. Nevertheless, under the draft AI regulation, there are obligations on providers to provide lots of information about these AI systems. There are separate and detailed obligations regarding transparency, record keeping, technical documentation. On that latter point, there is effectively a requirement to produce a technical manual on how a non-deterministic AI system is to work. And as we've discussed, that can be very difficult when we're dealing with black box non-deterministic algorithms. The final point I want to make about the draft EU AI regulation is that it has extraterritorial effect. Now, that's not surprising, and it's consistent with other pieces of EU legislation, but it could affect the attractiveness of AI developers outside of the EU marketing and selling their AI systems into the EU because it renders even those non-EU providers of high-risk AI systems in particular subject to these very onerous obligations, notwithstanding the fact that they are based outside of the EU. So coming back to the original question, Nick, I can certainly see the potential for innovation being fettered, given the various features of the draft regulation I've just mentioned, and that's particularly so for non-deterministic systems. Thank you, Manesh. I think I have to agree with you. It will certainly be the case if AI can't provide the sort of transparency which regulators are hoping for, to pick up the theme that I think you've all expressed.
Now, I, I could see that a non-deterministic algorithm might at least in theory be able to be structured in a way which records and then which can subsequently report on each logical step it's taken and all the data that it has relied upon at each such step. That may enable us humans then to point to any inaccuracies in the underlying data in a way that might satisfy the GDPR. But such a report would really just be an audit. It doesn't approach the sort of explanation or justification that a human would give for her or his actions. Going back to the example of a judge's judgment, one never expects the judge to deal with every minute factual and legal issue, but really only those which are either important to the parties or material in order to justify the decision. The level of AI needed not only to make decisions like a human, but then to have the perspective to be able to justify those decisions seems very distant indeed. Very distant in a way that takes us back to the future, as it were. Just as 1984 was perhaps an unnecessarily redundant title for a work, so was 2001, A Space Odyssey. But within that film is a bit of AI which has an extraordinary degree of perceptiveness and would no doubt have little trouble in explaining itself, but only if it chose to. Those who remember the film will recall where an astronaut, Dave, is outside the spaceship and is asking the HAL 9000 computer, which runs most of the functions on the ship, to open the doors to let him in. Hal replies that he can't, and when the astronaut asks, what's the problem? Hal malevolently replies, Dave, I think you know what the problem is, just as well as I do. So there you have it. Lots of interesting perspectives and thoughts about the legal and regulatory landscape in relation to deterministic and non-deterministic algorithms. I am very grateful to all our speakers for taking the time to join me. So thanks again to Jacob Turner, Julia Smithers XL, and Minesh Tanner. I hope you enjoyed our discussion as much as we did, and that you will join us next time for more legal news and analysis on the Fountain Court podcast. Mm-hmm.